0: For the sports and fitness industries, technology is not only advancing games and activities, but the equipment itself is a technological innovation. Products like fitness wearables, sports equipment, apparel, and footwear are now manufactured with embedded technology that helps improve training and performance. Like any emerging product sector, protecting and enforcing intellectual property is critical to the success of high-tech equipment. Joining us now are Finnegan partners Danny Audi and Aaron Parker to discuss IP considerations for sports and fitness products. Danny, the partnership between sports and fitness equipment manufacturers and technology developers has become increasingly more important and collaborative in recent years. What are some of the trademark opportunities this collaboration has created?
1: It's a very exciting time in the sports and fitness industry right now for trademark owners. We're seeing Um, leaders in the market emerge, and in doing that, the emphasis has not been so much on here's our new shoe or here's our new shirt. The emphasis has been on presenting an active, healthy, attractive lifestyle, and companies have been doing this through both acquiring brands and technologies and also through co-branding. Most recently, we've seen one of the industry leaders, Under Armour, acquire a tech company, MyFitnessPal, which provides fitness apps. And so you have Under Armour emerging, well, progressing as a leader not only in providing branded apparel, but also providing now fitness apps to further a healthy, fit lifestyle. Other companies also try to emerge and extend their brands by entering the fitness lifestyle category. We saw this in co-branding between Reebok and CrossFit. CrossFit, over the past few years, has just been a tremendous success, incredibly popular. And Reebok was very popular in the 1980s. Everyone remembers the Reebok pumps. It was an industry leader in that category for quite some time. In more recent years, it's been competing in a very crowded space and looking for ways to stand out. Reebok and CrossFit saw a synergy for co-branding. 2010, they entered into a co-branding agreement, and as a result of that, they have both, I believe, benefited from a trademark branding perspective. They've increased brand recognition for Reebok. You know, when you see these CrossFit events on ESPN, most of the athletes are wearing Reebok. And CrossFit products are sold in Reebok locations. The two are sharing branding expenses and benefiting from this collaboration. We've also seen it in co-branding between companies like Apple and Nike. Apple's technologies are embedded in certain Nike shoes so that you can track your fitness and work towards goals. So it's been both through acquisition and co-branding. We've seen industry leaders kind of emerge as not only product providers but as lifestyle providers.
0: Aaron, perhaps we could turn to you here. Many sports equipment companies are simply acquiring technology startups who are developing sports-related devices or are entering into collaborations with well-known technology companies to develop sports-related devices. What are some patent-related issues that these businesses should consider when making such an acquisition?
2: Many of the issues with respect to an acquisition and a collaboration are similar, but there are some differences as well. And so when you're looking at an acquisition and you're considering IP issues and patent issues, the first issue is the companies need to determine what is their objective for acquiring the startup, for example. Is the acquisition the focus to obtain know-how or patents? Is it to obtain the customer base? And, And how important is the IP to the transaction? The first step is to determine what what your goals in acquiring the company um, are. Is there anything relating to the IP that would prevent you from making the deal? After developing or determining what the objective is, the companies really need to focus on essentially the strength of the IP. But also in, in discussing that is is the the IP that's being acquired? Does the acquiring company want to do acquire the IP for our defensive purposes? Or is it for offensive purposes? Do they want to take that IP of those patents and and potentially be able to corner the market and keep others out? So in terms of looking at the the strength of patents in the IP that they're acquiring, companies need to essentially analyze the validity and the enforceability of those patents to make sure that the patents actually have value. Also, if there's technology that's being acquired uh, through the acquisition and the acquiring company is hoping to, in turn, begin marketing and selling that technology, they want to make sure that they have a freedom to operate or a freedom to sell those products in that technology, essentially to make sure that in doing so, in acquiring these rights and trying to then sell these rights, uh, this technology or products, that they wouldn't be infringing on, on the patent rights of third parties. They also would want to make sure that there's a clear title to the IP, so make sure that The company they're acquiring the IP from actually is the true owner, and in addition, they would want to make sure that the company that they're acquiring, um, there aren't outstanding licenses that might affect kind of the scope or the strength of that IP once they're acquired it. And I guess the last thing to think about is just be aware of the fact that this IP or some of these patents may be involved in current litigation or there may be the potential for litigation stemming from the acquisition. And also, uh, they'd want to be sure that the IP or the patents that they're obtaining aren't currently being attacked uh, through post-grant proceedings, for example, at the USPTO.
0: Danny, sports and fitness companies are not only protecting brand names, but also the visual appearance of their products through Trade Dress. Can you shed some light on this trend?
1: The appearance of a product is becoming that much more important in today's sports and fitness world when a lot of options are wearable technology. And a wearable technology, people want something that looks cool, that's aesthetically pleasing, going to be on your wrist or somewhere else all day long. And so the physical appearance of the product is becoming, in some cases, even more important than the traditional trademark that appears on it. When you think of things like Fitbits or... Jawbone, or the Apple Watch, all have very unique, appealing aesthetics to them. And like a word, you can also protect the aesthetic appearance of these wearable technologies and other products in the space. It's called trade dress, and it's given much of the same protections as the traditional word trademarks are given. If you look at what's happening in the industry, there are some who are taking advantage of this. One good example is Beats Audio has really done a nice job in terms of protecting the aesthetics of their products. You think Beats, you immediately think red lettering, but in addition to that, you think of the red wires extending from the headphones to your audio player. They've registered that color red for headphones and many other products, and they've been very effective in promoting that color, which is essential to protecting trade dress rights promoting it to such an extent that the public is now associating that particular aesthetic with you and no one else.
0: And finally, Aaron, from the patent side, what trends are you seeing related to patent protection and litigation related to sports equipment?
2: We've noticed that there's quite a bit more activity in the wearables and sensor markets. The litigation, typical, I mean, there's been some litigation in this area, but over the last several years with the advent of the America Invents Act, and now there's this post-grant proceeding that I mentioned earlier, it's a way to challenge a patent at the patent office. So in response to these litigations, the accused infringers are going to the patent office and challenging the validity of the patents that have been asserted. So that's fairly normal that's happening kind of all across the board. But one thing we've noticed is lately there have actually been challenges against patents that have not yet been asserted. There's no accused infringer yet. It's just a company kind of in the wearables or sensor space that seems to be kind of trying to clear space by challenging patents. In one case in particular, it's a company that, on the face of the names of the, the companies that whose patent's being challenged and the company that's challenging the patent, they don't really seem to be direct competitors so it could be a signal that the challenger either fears that there's a broad scope uh, you know, of patent claims that either may, may capture what they're doing currently or, or probably more likely is that they see a desirable market segment that they'd like to get into and they're trying to go ahead and clear that space before there actually is litigation. They're trying to challenge the patent and invalidate that patent so they can kind of move into that space.
0: Our guests have been Danny Audi and Aaron Parker of Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.